You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 181, How to Encourage Emotional Wellness in Kids. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, friends. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we have an incredible month of education in store. For the next four weeks, we're going to address topics having to do with how we can care for our mental health as mothers, as well as the mental health of our children. Today's episode is an extra special one to kick things off. Our guest is Lisa Sabi, the founder and president of Parents to Parents, an organization dedicated to helping parents whose children are navigating mental health concerns. They've produced several film documentaries that are blessing families all over the world. Their first film, Anorexia, Parents to Parents, is shown internationally in eating disorder centers. And their second film, Going Sane, won an Impact Award. Their latest film, American Tragedy, follows the experience of Sue Klebold, the mother of one of the Columbine High School shooters, and explores what she wishes she would have known then about mental health. American Tragedy won Best Documentary in the Boston Film Festival and has been screened at Stanford, NYU, and for national school administrators and board members. Recently, Lisa Sabi's focus has switched from making documentaries to making educational materials to support new parents early on to understand how to empower their children with mental wellness skills. Lisa is a personal friend of my family's whom I've known for many years, and I can't wait for you to learn from her today. She says her greatest education was as a mother of six, especially when one of her children was suicidal for years. It was then that she committed to help other parents navigate mental health issues more effectively and earlier than she did. Before we jump into my amazing discussion with Lisa, I want to thank this month's podcast sponsors, BetterHelp and Jane.com. First, let's talk about BetterHelp, the world's largest provider of therapy done 100% online. It is so appropriate that BetterHelp is sponsoring this important month of episodes for Mental Health Awareness Month because this is a company that makes counseling more affordable, convenient, and accessible for anyone who struggles with life's challenges. In today's episode, you'll hear me and Lisa talk about teaching our kids skills for emotional resilience and wellness, and I want you to know that I cannot recommend therapy highly enough, especially for mothers who are trying to manage their children's emotional needs in addition to their own. Through my years of counseling, I have learned tools that make me much less likely to lose my temper or to worry excessively about my kids in situations I have no control over, and I have been so grateful to have a confidential place to talk through many of my parenting struggles. Therapy is an incredible tool to help you build your emotional wellness, which in turn will mean that you are better equipped to teach your kids how to build theirs. If you feel you might need counseling but are hesitant, nervous, or embarrassed to invest in yourself this way, let me assure you that going to counseling will be a gift to your entire family. As you get stronger, so will your family. BetterHelp is so convenient for busy moms, and you can get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash three and 30. Our second sponsor is Jane.com, a highly curated online boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, and more. 
For years, I have heard my friends talking about the great deals that they get from Jane.com, but I hadn't actually been on their website until recently, and I was blown away by the wide variety of products they offer at incredible prices. Jane features hundreds of new products every day, most of them from small shops and vendors around the country who want to get the word out about their products, so they offer them at exclusive sale prices on Jane.com for a limited time. If you're interested in checking out what Jane has to offer, they actually helped me create a curated shop page, especially for 3 and 30 listeners with some of my favorite items displayed. I almost felt like I was registering for my wedding again as I went through their huge inventory and said, I want that one on the 3 and 30 page. I want that one on the 3 and 30 page. It was really fun. You can see the deals I handpicked for you at jane.com slash 3 and 30. That's jane.com slash 3 and 30. And now onto the show. This is how to encourage emotional wellness in kids. Lisa, welcome to 3 and 30. We are thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I know that you have a personal history with mental health in your family and some personal reasons why you've gotten involved with mental health advocacy and education for parents. And so I was wondering if you could just start by telling us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so my story with mental illnesses starts with my sister. I have a sister 13 months older than I am who has from a very young age dealt with major depression mm-hmm. and it has made her life much harder and unfairly so. And then when I was about 40, so about 20 years ago, I too had a, a depressive episode where mm-hmm. all of a sudden I just knew I wasn't well. And I went and got help and got on medication. And over nine months, I uh, recovered, which was just a blessing. Nine months is not that long compared to many other people who have dealt with depression. And then about 10 years after that, my daughter started having anorexia combined with anxiety and OCD. And it just threw our life in a spiral going downhill and into darkness. And over the next many years, we were trying to help her to want to live. She had suicide ideation. Um, There were times she had plans. There were times she wrote suicide notes. And it was scary. We didn't know if we'd wake up to a daughter who was Mm -hmm. alive or not. And my husband and I would just jerk any time we heard a noise at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And when she was 18... She chose to go to New York to try to become a dancer and to live with a boyfriend that wasn't the wisest person to try to live with as he was a recovering addict. And again, my husband and I just thought, do we just not let her go? And then she would run away. How do we support her? And we decided we would just love her and let her have her journey. So in New York, she was doing well for a while, but then when incredible stress happened, she fell down into the depression and the anorexia. And then two years ago, her husband left her. They got married after six years. And then after two years, her husband left her. And then COVID and all the dancing stopped and Mm. she just relapsed. And here we are trying to be supportive and helpful uh, with an adult child who is wonderful and has many skills, but we realize her brain is very complex and does not allow her to really honor her own self. Mm -hmm. She uh, has a lack of what we call dopamine affirming in her brain, which basically her brain does never affirm herself. Mm -hmm. And she's always having to get affirmation from the outside world. 
And although we can tell people, just don't worry what other people say. If your brain does not affirm your own self, Mm. then you have nowhere else to turn but outside and seek for affirmation. So we've gained enough information to realize that she is a warrior. She is a battler. She is a person who has not given up and she's strong and she deals with mental illnesses. Uh, Well, what strikes me about your journey is I know you personally. So I know you had a lot of empathy and compassion even before you had your own experiences with it. But when you described having your own experience with depression, I know in my case, that has given me so much more empathy for others. Like you said, you said nine months, it's nothing compared to what some people go through. But having experienced it and getting a taste of that darkness has made me wonder how do people do this? And it gives you so much more, like you said, perspective on this isn't a failing that people have. In fact, they are the warriors, the people that are living with this every day. And your daughter, you know, this isn't a weakness of hers. It's something her brain works differently. And I love that you can affirm that and see the good in her and want to reach out and support her as well as other parents. So you're a grandma now. You know? I am a grandma. I have nine grandchildren expecting number 10 in October. It's so exciting. And it's so inspiring to me to see someone looking back on their life and also looking forward. You know, you still have a lot of years left, but saying, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to pour into education for parents that are coming up, you know, the things that I wish I had known and that it's not too late to help parents with these struggles. So I'm just very inspired by you and all the work that you've done. And I would love to learn from you some of the major takeaways that you have gained from all of the research that you've done over the last 10 years, or how long have you been diving into this work? Well, uh, about seven years now. Okay. And there's some major takeaways that you've come with that you're ready to teach us about how we as parents can support our kids through becoming more mentally healthy. So let's start with your first takeaway. The first one is that we have got to not blame ourselves for a child or a parent's or a sibling's mental illness. The major mental illnesses, schizophrenia and bipolar and some eating disorders, actually the ratio has not changed for hundreds of years. They're basically just genetic, well, not just, complexly genetic. And Mm. parents cannot blame themselves for not parenting well, and then their child's going to have mental illness. That's just, that's way too simplistic, and it's not what we need to do. So we need to take the fear of causing a mental illness away from our thoughts Mm. and realize we are parenting the best we can. And yes, we can learn more, but we are not going to cause mental illnesses. We have influence on our children, and that'll be our second one. But yes. let me just tell you a little bit about this first one. So Sue Klebold, in the in our movie, American Tragedy, we follow Sue Klebold, the mother of Columbine shooter Dylan Klebold. She is a wonderful person, a warm person, a very connecting person. And her son became a school shooter and a murderer. And then there are people who have, I have a friend named Jose Silva, who grew up with a mother who was an addict and was homeless when he was in high school, and he is now the president of the Colorado Association for Infant Mental Health. So there's just incredible families that have major mental illnesses. And then there are incredibly bad families that have incredibly good mental wellness. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, just, we can't, they can't correlate that. And we've mm-hmm. just got to be kind to ourselves and relax about, could I be doing such damage to my child? Mm-hmm. 
So that's the first takeaway. Yeah. And it's so painful when your child is struggling without you adding the shame and the guilt and the blame on yourself. And if you can, I know it's easier said than done, if you can stop thinking about your part in it and instead think about what you can do to support your child. Forgive yourself for any mistakes you've made. Forgive yourself, you know, if you miss some signs or symptoms along the way or you said or did the wrong thing. You didn't cause this and let that go and move forward with helping your child. And I was very fascinated watching American Tragedy. It's fascinating for people to think about, like being the parent of a school shooter and what that must be like. And I think we want to believe it could never happen to us. And so we vilify people. That's why victim blaming is a thing because people don't want to believe that someone like them could have something like that happen to them. And so they blame the victim and say, it must have been something that they did. And you've spent a lot of time with Sue Klebold. And so what, what perspective did that give you on the Columbine shooting? Oh, what perspective did it give you on the Columbine shooting is that the brain is incredibly complex because this mother is incredibly good. Mm. And that Dylan's brain somehow got hijacked to a point where he wasn't able to resource his needs in a way that helped him. Mm. Um, I think Sue is heroic. I think Sue was a wonderful mother. Mm. And Dylan, just for whatever reason, wasn't able to accept her love, trust her love, rely on her love and turn instead to connecting with someone who together kind of Mm. reinforced each other's anger and frustration. And it just mobilized into just a heroic act. Mm. So I think what I gained is compassion for the families of, of somebody who dies by suicide of someone who Mm. is violent, just realizing that stories are complex very complex. Yes. And we need to back away from judgment and go towards compassion, even for the perpetrators. I think that Dylan's brain had him believe that death would be better than life and Mm -hmm. that killing somehow had a meaning that in his depraved way of thinking made sense. Mm -hmm. Um, No one, no one would condone it. No. But we can understand you have to be in an incredibly dark, dark place to even imagine it. Yes. So I think that's kind of my takeaway is Mm. that Sue had no comprehension of her son's darkness. And Dylan had no comprehension how to get out of the darkness. Yeah. And so when we realize that parents can't cause mental illness, and I do want to say there that there are some parents like with extreme neglect and extreme abuse, that does cause mental illness. So parents can cause mental illness if they are doing those horrific things to their children. But typical parents that are trying to love their children well, just doing their best, don't cause mental illness. What can they do to help? They don't cause it, but they can help. And I think that leads right into the second takeaway. Right. And the second takeaway is that emotional wellness is possible. It doesn't mean we won't have mental illnesses, but we all deal with failure. We all deal with self-questioning. We all deal with rejection. We all deal with loneliness. And there are skills that the science has identified that give you hope that you can deal with these complex situations in life in the most effective way, or at least in a very effective way. And you can teach that to your children. 
So mm-hmm. emotional wellness is based on skills, just like math is based on skills. You can learn to add and to subtract and to multiply and to divide and adding up to everything together. You can do math and you can do your personal finances and you can you can understand if you get good enough engineering. But that's just a, a subject that can be learned just like emotional wellness can be learned. And mm-hmm. if we understand it that way, then we can understand that, oh, This should be taught to parents. It should be taught from K through 12. It should be a subject in school, just like math. And in fact, it's probably more impactful in a whole life than math skills are. And so we need to be hopeful in that we realize, oh, I can learn to deal with my fears and I can teach my children to learn to deal with their fears. I can learn to question my negative thinking and I can teach my children to question their negative thinking. Mm -hmm. I can learn to pause before I act and I can teach my children to pause before they act. So this emotional wellness is a tool set that science has identified, works and supports emotional wellness. And we as parents, we as grandparents, we as aunts and uncles and neighbors, we can learn this and society needs to be able to identify these things as vital and teach them K through 12, but parents need to be teaching them from birth through kindergarten. Yes. And reinforced for school so that zero to five is such an essential point. And it's actually when the brain is most malleable. And mm-hmm. if we as parents or grandparents can use those years to teach our children some of the basic skills of mental wellness, then we'll just give them the opportunity to succeed in life even greater than almost anything else we could be teaching them. Yes, absolutely. And I was really struck by that when I watched American Tragedy that really the second half of the movie is all about teaching mindfulness skills to children and how there are schools around the country that have brought in mindfulness curriculum and teaching kids how to manage anger and what to do with these big feelings and how to take a breath and choose how they want to react to outward stimuli. And I wish that I would have started this so much younger with my children. I mean, they're still pretty young, But my kids would have been excited to do like little meditations and things with me, you know, before they were four. Now they're kind of in the phase where I I have to push it a little more and they kind of think like they act like, oh, that's dumb, mom, you know. And so I'm like, it is the perfect time to start with your really little children, teaching them these mindfulness skills before they can push back or think it's dumb or silly or anything else. Um, What are some of the ways that moms can do this or grandmas can do this to help their kids start to build these skills. Yeah. And that goes to the third point. What are some of the skills that we can learn and that we can teach? And I'm going to use a little acronym FAN, F-A-N. You know, what can we FAN? How can we FAN the fire for mental or emotional wellness? And the first one, the, the F is let's help our children and ourselves face our fears. So I'm going to tell you a story and it's my story And it's the way I parented my daughter. And I parented my daughter with a lot of love and with a lot of support. And now if I were to have her be a child again, I would parent her differently, Mm -hmm. not just with love, but with these skills. So this is the story that I feel illustrates the facing fears. So when my daughter was young, she was scared of spiders. And if a spider came by, she would just scream and I would run and I'd kill the spider. Then I'd take toilet paper and get the spider up in the toilet paper and run to the toilet and flush it down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And I would just do that because I didn't want my daughter to have to be scared. And I want her to know that I was going to keep her world, her environment safe. 
Mm-hmm. So no spiders. Yeah. <laughs> but there will be spiders when I'm not there. Yeah. There will be spiders at school. Mm-hmm. There will be spiders sometime that will crawl on her feet or her legs when she's outside. I cannot keep her safe from spiders. Mm. Now, when I'm a grandma, and this is a true story, my granddaughter saw a spider about 10, 15 feet away from her and started screaming, Grandma, Grandma, a spider, a spider. And I saw the spider too. And I took her hand and I said, I see the spider. And I know that spider is not a dangerous spider, but it makes you scared, doesn't it? And my granddaughter said, yes, it's a spider. And I said, let's go towards it. And I held her hand and we walked towards the spider. And I said, do you see the spider? How big is it? It's little. How big is your foot? It's big. And I said, yes, your foot. You have power to Mm -hmm. either pick up that spider with a piece of paper and take it outside or to stomp on that spider. Whatever you choose, what do you want to do? Well, she stomped on it. And then we got a toilet paper and she picked it up and put it in the toilet and we flushed it down. Now, some people say you should let the spider live and that would have been just a fine response too, mm-hmm. and, and perhaps a better response. But that's not, the, it, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that we approached the spider. I empowered her to choose what to do. And mm-hmm. then I supported her to finish whatever it was that she did. Mm-hmm. Then her other grandma who is just awesome bought a tarantula (laughs) because of this because of this yes to help her yeah and they had a cage with this tarantula and every week the mother would buy crickets and the granddaughter would put the crickets inside and watch the tarantula eat and (laughs) this granddaughter has no fear of spiders wow But we, another story about the same idea is that, again, I just keep realizing that my mindset and mothers need to realize our brains, we have more oxytocin and we think of oxytocin as the love hormone. It's also the protective hormone. The more oxytocin we have, the more protective we become to our children, our loved ones. And that's just, that's innate within being female. And male have more vasopressin, which is basically, let's go towards risks. So generally speaking, moms rescue more and Mm. dads bring them towards fears. But if we realize that we are meant to go towards our fears, to learn that we can face them, then we will just be teaching ourselves and our children that the anxiety we get doesn't have to stay. We can be afraid of something, but we can learn about it. Mm. We can talk to people about it. We can go towards it. And if it is not dangerous, fear does not equal danger. If it is not dangerous, then it can become, I'm going to say, become our friend. Yeah. So um, that's the first face our fears. Yeah, that's so powerful. That example of the contrast between how you reacted to your daughter and how you reacted to your granddaughter is just beautiful. And as somebody that has struggled a lot in my life with anxiety and worry, I have learned from counselors that often the best thing to do is to think it all the way through to the end. So I'll like be fixating on something like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What? And they'll say, well, what if it happens? Talk to me about go all the way to the end. And it does sometimes relieve the anxiety for me to walk towards it, to examine it, to say that would be extremely difficult if that happened, but here are the resources that I would use to support myself. So obviously we're talking about spiders, but this is kind of a metaphor for the bigger things too. Teaching our kids 
to go towards it, to talk about it, to observe it. Why do you have that fear? And to reach out to people who can help you through that fear as well. So thank you for sharing that. It's such a great, great example. I wanted to share another one along the same line because it adds a a new dimension to helping ourselves and our children deal with anxiety. So we're still facing fear. We're going to do the F-A-N, but we're still facing fears. This same granddaughter, she had anxiety her first few years of life. And we were in a hot tub together and I was putting up an umbrella to keep us shaded. And she started screaming, Grandma, don't, don't, don't. And I was just like, whoa, what is going on here? What is going on here? And so I got into the hot tub and I sat down with her. Historically, I would have just said, okay, we'll just not have shade. That's okay. Mm -hmm. We can be in a hot tub without shade. No problem. But I knew there was something more. And I now have learned that you face fears and try to understand them. Mm -hmm. So I went and sat next to my granddaughter and I said, tell me what you're thinking. I understand you're fearful, but tell me what you're thinking. And she said, I I think if you put that umbrella up, the wind's going to take it. It's going to blow it over to me and it's going to hit me and kill me. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. is right. Yeah. And I said, oh, my goodness. Those are scary thoughts. You know what? We can challenge those thoughts. I want you to look around. Is there wind? No. Do you see anything flying about? No. Would do you think I would ever put you in a dangerous situation? No. So what I want you to know is that the way you're thinking is what is making you scared. And we can challenge that. This Mm. is a three-year-old learning to challenge her thinking. But I had to ask not how you're feeling, or I had to say, what are you thinking? Mm. And then we understand compassionately why they're responding so extremely. And then we can directly address the thinking and help them challenge that thinking. So facing fears is a huge thing that we can teach parents Mm. for themselves to do and their children. Wow, that is powerful. I'm going to use that with my kids and with myself when I have these fears that come up. And then the second idea for the fan is always connect emotionally with emotional words with anybody and everyone. So you always connect emotionally first. And this is the A, always connect emotionally. Always connect emotionally. So let's say a child is having a tantrum and they throw a glass and it just splatters all over the house, right? (laughs) All over the kitchen or whatever. Your first response is, why did you do that? Yeah. What were you thinking? (laughs) Right. What in the world were you thinking? But we need to do is step back one step and just say, what are they feeling? Hmm. And that actually helps us have a pause, and then a plan to strategize. If we just say, I'm always going to try, we will not always do it, but we're going to try to connect first with the feeling before I fix, before I redirect, before I discipline, before anything else, I am going to name an emotion that person is feeling. It could be with a spouse, it could be with a mom, it could be with a child, but that pattern is a pattern that puts the the emotional part of the brain, which is the limbic system, and it connects us with the strategic part, which is the prefrontal cortex or the kind of the mastermind of the brain. And when we name the emotion, then all of a sudden those two parts of the brain are connected Mm. and we have more power to strategize and think through the next steps. Mm. And it keeps us from getting into an amygdala hijack, which is we get out of control. We start yelling and everything gets worse. 
Oh yeah. So in that situation with the kid who threw the glass and would you say the reaction of the parent could be, whoa, you're really angry or that's a lot of anger or whoa, you are super frustrated. I mean, is that how you would respond there? That's perfect, Rachel. Yeah. Okay. And you could also say, whoa, that scares me too. Yes. No, acknowledge that this gave you emotions too. Mm -hmm. So, whoa, there's something that you are feeling really upset about and doesn't make sense to you. And I can tell you're very angry. This makes me a little bit scared because glass can cause cuts and can hurt you. And now, you know, so it's not like you don't have the emotions. You also do, but you Mm. name the emotions. So whomever it is knows that you're trying to understand them and not just be mad at them, but Mm. also they need to understand that it has some consequence on your emotions. Yes. And I think sometimes parents maybe understandably push back a little and say, but that child needs to be disciplined for that. But the thing to remember is that when they're in a heightened state, they can't learn. So yeah, you will address that behavior later. You're not going to just let your kids go on around throwing cups, breaking glasses every time that they're upset. But first connect emotionally, name the emotion, get them back into their thinking brain by having the conversation and then say, when we are frustrated, we don't throw glasses. We can do this instead. Or if you want to have a consequence, then have a consequence. But like I said, a child can't learn. No one can. Humans can't learn when they're really heightened. You have to first bring down those emotions. And that is so correct. When there is stress, the brain just lets go of cortisol and cortisol literally depresses the thinking brain. And it just makes everybody reactive, every single person reactive. So no one wants children to be throwing glass. And we definitely need to be teaching. But the best teaching moment is when a child feels understood, Mm -hmm. not when a child feels blamed or not when a child feels like they were bad Mm. or not when a child feels that they have disappointed us. Yeah. But when they feel that, oh, I'm safe here, they understand me and they love me, that's when the heart is tender and can learn. And you can role play and you can talk through it. In fact, it would be really, really helpful to talk over and over again what happened for the next several days. Mm. Not in blame, but do you remember when? And then you threw the glass. You remember what mom did and remember what this happened. You know, how did that make you feel? And, and let them process their own experience of anger or whatever it was. And you help them to say, yeah. And, you know, that scared me too. But if we could do it again, let's pretend like we're magic and go back. What would you do next time? Mm. And make it a game. But don't just leave it. Don't just say, okay, we've learned from it. Now we're moving on. To say that is something that happened that was extreme. So there's processing that is needed. And Mm. the best way to process is through language. Because the language is so complex. It integrates the whole brain. Mm. So just learning through process, which brings us to the last point, the last idea of these are basic skills you can teach is name emotions as much as needed. So you can name over and over again. You can say, yes, you felt angry. Yes, that was sad. Yes, your best friend disappointed you or made you feel bad. And you name the emotions as much as needed for processing. I have another little story. One of my grandchildren, one of my son's families has chickens and one of their chickens died. And for children, a death of a chicken or any pet is pretty traumatic. Mm-hmm. And their oldest child just told us the story of Fritters, the little chicken that died for months. Hmm. Do you remember when Fritters died? Do you remember the, that the raccoon got? Do you remember? And we used to just think, how many times will it take? 
Hmm. And at some point she didn't talk about it anymore and she's not traumatized by it. And if you think of PTSD, a lot of it is talking through it and putting a beginning, a middle and end on it. Yes. So it doesn't just come at any old time, but mm-hmm. that it's controlled with the time. If we allow our children to talk over and over again, anything and everything that was emotionally complex, we're mm-hmm. actually helping their brain process it, put it into an understandable place that this is a story that was hard, but I now understand it and I'm not afraid of it anymore. And that's just name emotions, name them right when they come up, name them when they're still confusing and work through them, process through them. And that's the third of the fan, fan fire of mental wellness, of emotional wellness through facing fears, through always connecting with the emotions and through naming the emotions as much as needed until understanding happens. Well, I feel like you gave us three takeaways within three takeaways. Your third takeaway also had the three points. I love it. Having an acronym is so helpful to remember. And I know that this conversation is going to give moms listening so much and parents listening, dads too, so much to think about and try in their homes in order to build stronger mental health within their kids. So thank you so much for your work. And where can people learn more from you? Uh, You can go commit to brainfit.com. Okay. That's our website. And then I don't know when this is going to be shown, but on May 4th, there's an international celebration of what is good that's happening in the mental health field. And mm-hmm. even if this is after May 4th, it's something that they could see a recording of and just get involved with the schools. Talk to schools about, we want K through 12. We want our child learning mental wellness, not just mindfulness, but mm-hmm. reframing abilities and Emotional regulation beyond just mindfulness. Mindfulness is one thing, but there's so many other skills that can be and should be taught in every aspect of society. Yeah. And so many of these skills are generally only taught in therapy. You know, that's where I learned it was as an adult in therapy. And we need to bring these to children much younger and much sooner. I love that idea of advocating within our schools and our communities to get more of this education for our kids. And I just thought American Tragedy is free on Amazon Prime, too. If people want to watch that and have a a watch party and then discuss about what can we do as families, as schools, as communities, as workplaces, what can we do to build mental wellness? We made the movie to start discussion. Mm, Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for giving us some places to start. We're so grateful for you and for your work and for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Lisa for this candid and super enlightening conversation, which wove together overarching principles, as well as practical applications and examples. That is my favorite kind of conversation. As a recap of Lisa's three takeaways, let's all remember first, parents do not cause mental illness. It is important to establish this up front because when you have a child who is struggling, it only adds more pain and shame if you blame yourself. Like all illnesses, mental illness can happen to anyone, even those with incredibly loving and supportive parents. There is much we can do as parents to help our children develop skills for emotional wellness, but ultimately, loving parents can't completely prevent or completely cause mental illness in our kids. And that leads into our second takeaway. Emotional wellness is possible, and it's based on skills that we can learn and teach. 
Lisa mentioned in the episode that the most complex mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorders have remained at consistent levels for as long as records have been kept. But what we forgot to mention in that takeaway is that the most common mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, and eating disorders, have skyrocketed in the past decade. I think most of us know that, and it's most likely based on cultural shifts and stimuli. But in spite of this fact that these things are on the rise, and actually in light of it, we as parents can help to arm our children with the skills they need to deal with failure, rewire negative thinking, and manage complex emotions. These are skill sets that have traditionally been taught in therapy, but can and should be taught at home and at school from a very young age. Which leads to our third takeaway, which breaks down how to start teaching our children these emotional wellness skills. Remember the acronym FAN. F, face our fears. A, always connect emotionally first. And N, name emotions as much as needed for our children to understand and process them. As we model for our children how to do this by walking them through their emotions and their fears step by step, we are fanning the fire for their emotional wellness in the future. In next week's episode with the meditation expert, we will dive more specifically into how to give our children mindfulness skills from a very young age in accessible and impactful ways. I'm so excited for this four-week series that really builds one after the other about mental health And I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing in your home to support yourself and your children emotionally. You are doing a great job, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.